Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com/cbs to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So, if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/cbs and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. 
Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. While the rest of the world waits for a COVID-19 vaccine, could technology come to the rescue in the short term with widespread, reliable, and very fast response testing? I speak with the CEO of Clear, Karen Seidman-Becker, to discuss what kind of testing can work at every touch point of your journey. And then, while 2020 may be a year we would all like to forget, there are a few silver linings. Are you sitting on a lot of unredeemed frequent flyer miles? In the Wall Street Journal, Scott McCartney has some good news for you. And finally, a report from 37,000 feet and an update on what it's really like to fly during the pandemic as I check in with Patrick Smith, author of Cockpit Confidential and AskThePilot.com. First up, Karen Seidman-Becker. Every day now, we're sitting around going, not where are we going to go or when are we going to go or if we're going to go, it's how we're going to go. The pent-up demand for travel is palpable, it's growing, and the real question is, how are we going to make it work? And joining me now, the CEO of an agency and a company that you may know when you go to the airport, Clear, Karen Seidman-Becker. Hey, Karen. Hi, Peter. So, technology. You know, when you started Clear, uh, it was basically to get me through security at the airport. And you, you realized early on that your application could go way beyond just the airport experience but even then, I don't even think you were even anticipating, as any of us were, COVID-19. That is right. Look, we always thought that identity was crucial and foundational to so many industries beyond travel. After 9-11, the travel industry was forced to evolve to ensure security. And now, post-COVID, not only aviation and travel, but all industries are forced to you know, evolve and ensure safety and innovation clear innovation, but lots of innovation is crucial to make that happen, to reopen businesses and make them safer and frictionless. Well, having said that, I mean, I I think it's a great mission statement, but we're living in a world where there's no uniformity, uh, not a lot of discipline, and everybody's coming up with their own solution that they want to be particular to them. And as a result, you know, you have states opening and closing, you have countries opening and closing, you have bars opening and closing, you have venues opening and closing, so how can technology actually work to bring everybody together in a way that, that works? Yeah, I, look, I think that's a great point. And you really want the ability to enroll once and use it everywhere. And I think if you, again, look at airports post 9-11 as a model of certain things, security has been standardized across 400 and some odd airports domestically. And you're right, not only are there borders internationally, but now there's borders domestically between states, which means they need to know what are they really asking? Who are you? And share some health insights with us, right? Have you been tested? Have you been anywhere? Answer these questions. Have you ultimately been vaccinated? What is your temperature? And so we created Health Pass, which is uh, mobile first verified identity, using facial or QR codes married to uh, both your health insights from a quiz perspective or a survey perspective to linking it to lab companies to know definitively you are Peter Greenberg, you have been tested and the test results were negative. And then when you show up uh, scanning either facial plus thermal scanning or QR code plus thermal scanning, and it's all in one. And then it can also be your boarding pass or your driver's license. And so we really are using touchless travel today where people are showing up at the airports and using their eyes. You don't even have to take off your mask as your driver's license and your boarding pass. And so we know that customers love this. We know that customers trust it. And we know that it is crucial to reopening not only travel, 
but so many other industries. And when you travel, it's the core, right? You're getting on a plane and you're going to a hotel or you're getting in a car or you're going to a sporting event or a theater or an office building. And so being able to use this same credential in all of these is key to making experiences safer and easier and truly frictionless. And I think, we, as I said, we got to come back better than we left. And this kind of innovation will ensure that travel is actually more frictionless than before we started here. You know, I remember, I'm old enough to remember the carte jeune, the yellow health card, that yes. if you wanted to travel, you had to show your record of vaccinations. Um, I still have one. I mean, I, I don't ever show it to anybody, but it's still there. Um, and when this first started, we had certain countries like Chile issuing what they called an immunity card uh, to their citizens, allowing them to travel. The problem was nobody outside of Chile accepted it. Um, and you see that in other countries around the world. So... What organization, short of the United Nations or the UNWHO or somebody, can put together an opportunity for the technology to be unilaterally applied? I think that's a great question, and I think it starts with adoption across the U.S., quite frankly. I think that's the easiest place to get started and where things are most restrictive today. But you see a tunnel opening between the you know New York and London. You see certain channels opening, and I think you have to go after those on an on a opportunity-by-opportunity basis, as you well know, right? Sister cities or city pairs and travel are so crucial, and I think you can get uh, far along just by focusing on those as a starting point. But there are a lot of organizations. I do believe uh, that our government works with other governments, and then there are, like, the World Travel and Tourism Group. There's a lot of groups um, that I think can help bring some base standards. And quite frankly, I think the airlines, who are highly incented to make this happen, can also work together within their own alliances. So I think there's many places, but here's what you know. Everyone is incented for the same outcome, which are safer and easier experiences, and to get their customers back out. You know, the other day I was flying to uh, Cincinnati and got to LaGuardia, which was completely empty, um, and there was the clear line. I figured, oh, okay, I'm a, I'm a member of Clear, and I'll just go up there, and they scanned my eyes, and there was my boarding pass. And, you know, I got up to the TSA checkpoint, with the, the clear person who was, you know, chaperoning me there, which is what they do. And I realized I was still holding my ID. I don't need it because that's already been cleared when you scan my eyes. So your concept about what clear does, you had already expanded it way before the pandemic to sporting venues and theaters and concert halls and, and, uh, it's a big, you know, a big, you know, like what Barclays and all that stuff. So the technology is already there, isn't it? The technology is there. Clearly, there were modifications we hadn't thought about adding thermal scanning. But identity is foundational to so many different industries. And my question has always been, and maybe it's because I'm a working mom of three, like, why am I taking out my wallet for my, you know, to prove that I am who I say I am to get into my office building, to have access to the doctor or whatever the copay or my eligibility is, or to, you know, buy a beer. Not that, unfortunately, people card me anymore, right? But you're taking <laughs> out all these cards in your wallet to prove that you are you. And the fact is that you should fuse those cards with your face, fingerprints, eyes. Now people want touchless, so face and eyes are the key. I think voice also, either on a single-factor or multi-factor authentication to create these safer and easier experiences. So this concept isn't new. The sense of urgency is new, and the also connecting health paths to your point, you can't have a five-step process. You can't take where we were after 9-11 
and now add six feet of so six feet of social distancing and a thermal scan, the airport lines will right will just be worse than they were. And so leveraging this technology, doing facial or iris plus thermal scanning all at once makes a tremendous amount of sense. And again, you need automation. You need to connect this to an e-gate so that it is an all-in-one experience um, to make it safer and easier for everybody. And so, you know, we did, uh, we went to Kenya as a family two years ago, and we still took out the yellow fever vaccine cards, these little cards. And I thought, I'm going to lose this. And again, that should be incorporated into who you are. These health insights should be part of your boarding pass. They should be part of your, you know, ticket to get into the game. And I just think it's uh, a, also important always to have it opt in. I think that's really important. I would imagine that most customers do want to opt in, but I think that's really important from a privacy and a data security perspective. But there is no doubt in my mind that this is a moment where we don't need wallets. We just need us. And the experience can be frictionless and it can be so much safer. And HealthPath is a foundational you know, piece of your identity now. Right now, when you take a look at the passenger loads, they're still about one-third of what they were a year ago. Uh, flying through an airport is a breeze. Uh, if it doesn't look like a ghost town uh, because there's no retail, but it really is a pleasure. Um, and for some terminals, you know, I remember when LaGuardia was defined by, by Joe Biden as worse than a third-world airport, which at that point was insulting to a lot of third-world airports that were actually better. Uh, the new terminal at LaGuardia for United and American is phenomenal, and there's nobody there. Uh, so the good news is, you know, when you're flying now, you're not standing in line at the airport. That's great. But there's going to come a time where we have to implement all this technology in the wake of COVID-19, and then the question becomes, is it physically possible to fit all those people in a line with social distancing? I don't think there is a terminal in the United States that was built for that, Karen. So, again, this is where innovation comes in to create a, a frictionless curb. I, I wouldn't even call it curb to gate. I'd call it home to gate. So a product we've been working on for a few years and came out exactly at the right time is our home to gate app, which means that by just putting in your flight number, we will tell you what time to leave your house to get to your gate 35 minutes in advance. We've married traffic plus the clear lane plus the walk at a medium walk speed from the clear lane to where your gate is, all by just putting in your flight. So the ability to now do scheduling or appointments for uh, the airport security or bag drop experience to know exactly when you should leave your house and plot your entire journey is at your fingertips. And then that starts to set off or activate various other you know, experiences. You could pre-order your food and it could be waiting for you because it knows when you'll be there. And uh, it could point out different charts along your journey, whether it be parking or concessions or a lounge. And so you can actually leave your house and board your plane using this technology without taking anything out of your wallet and knowing exactly from when you leave to when you'll be on that plane. So I think that level of control can start to remove weight and uncertainty. People want predictability. And you think about something as basic as the Starbucks mobile app. It's obviously not so basic. But that's driven predictability. You walk in, you get your coffee, you walk out. Why can't other experiences have that same insight and vision, those physical experiences? Marrying digital plus physical, what we here at Clear call digital, begins the transformation. Well, you mentioned earlier thermal imaging. And in the, and, and in the absence of a widespread scalable vaccine or in the absence of widespread reliable rapid response testing, 
uh, there are still limitations to to what you want to do, right? Until we come up with at least the uh, a way to biometrically scan and get a 45-second response as to whether you're positive or negative. Just like physical screening post 9-11, there are a lot of similarities in that it had a layered approach, right? There is a layered approach to security that drives efficacy today in travel. So this industry knows about the layered approach. And I think when you look at things such as social distancing, masks, therapeutics even before a vaccine, thermal scanning, other biometrics which can be taken off cell phones like respiratory and pulse oximetry and put it all together plus a survey questionnaire, you can have, and not to mention filtration and things of that nature and cleaning, you can have an incredibly safe experience in travel. And to your question on who's taking that temperature, I think that that's something that is highly automated, just like we're doing today. Clear powered the NHL bubble. There was no one there taking temperatures for primary. If you needed secondary screening, if you will, someone would take your temperature. But it was all done off, off of our tablets, which have both facial QR codes and thermal scanning in one. So this is a highly automatable solution, if that's actually a word. And again, technology can solve these problems. Okay, here comes my stupid question of the day. If it's Uh-oh. one-stop shop, oh no, it's okay. If it's one-stop <laughs> shopping, if it's one-stop shopping with the thermal imaging, how long does that entire process take? That is a great question, and that entire process is sub two seconds. Come on. By, uh, I, if you want to come over, we can video it here at our office. We're using it, or you can ask the players at the NHL. Uh, it's immediate. When you show your face for facial recognition and thermal scanning, it all happens at the same time because by, it's your temporal lobes, and once your face is centered, it all happens. So it's recognizing that you're Peter. It could do your identity, your boarding pass, and your temperature in sub two seconds. And then it could open an e-gate and through you go. And it's because we've built a secure infrastructure on the back end from a homeland security, a data security, a HIPAA compliant perspective, and a customer centric front end. Now is the moment for this technology and there is a sense of urgency to deploy it and deploy it well. There's definitely a sense of urgency. Uh, that'll mitigate, if you survive, if you basically support the sense of urgency, that mitigates the fear factor. Uh, it allows for a, a higher level of confidence and a comfort level for people to want to get out and fly like me. And I'm, I'm by the way, I'm flying, I'm going all over the place, but I, I worry about when more people are flying, what the process is going to be and how slow it's going to be. And what you're telling me, Karen, is two seconds in and out, which is not bad. Not only not bad, it's good. And if this is where we start, imagine how much better we can get. I think everyone's minds are really open to innovation and collaboration because you got to put the whole network together. My thanks to Karen. Next, frequent flyer miles used to be much harder to earn as well as to redeem. Then came COVID-19 and an unexpected turn of events. Scott McCartney, travel editor for the Wall Street Journal, on a sudden buyer's market for travelers. My next guest, a regular on this show as well as our PBS show called The Travel Detective. He's the travel editor at the Wall Street Journal and his name, Scott McCartney. Hey, Scott. Hey, Peter. So if you're like me, um, you're a frequent flyer, you know, junkie. Uh, you have, you know, accrued miles somewhere in a basement. Uh, and right now, what I'm seeing, and you've seen it too, you did a story on it, uh, is that the airlines have always had a humongous amount of unredeemed miles, but they never really would make them available because they wanted the capacity to control the seats and, and use those for revenue passengers, of course. Well, not, right now, they don't have a whole lot of revenue passengers. And as a result, not only is there availability on flights you never could get 
the destinations you could never get, and I'm thinking 330 days out, the actual mileage levels needed to get those flights in many cases have been reduced. Yeah, reduced greatly. Um, and uh, this is this is based on a, a survey that a consulting firm um, named IdealWorks did. They they do a lot of really good. Uh, data crunching on uh, frequent flyer programs. There's not a lot of data out there, and, and these guys do a really good job with it. So they, they looked at uh, a bunch of travel dates in November, um, including Thanksgiving, and, uh, and said, you know, for domestic trips, um, what's the average price on each airline uh, for uh, uh, an award in the top 10 markets of each airline? They, they look in the busiest routes uh, for each airline. And it was astounding. Uh, United averaged um, 12,833 miles. That's round trip. You, usually, if you find something for 25,000 miles, that, uh, you know, that's a deal these days. But, but 12,000 round trip is, is a steal. Uh, and now you've got to want to travel right now. Um, but uh, United was not the only one. JetBlue was at 15,000 miles round trip, Southwest at 15,000 miles. That's actually up for them. Um, but the others were quite cheap. And some of the more incredible bargains uh, were both on, on uh, Transcon flights, uh, New York to Los Angeles. Uh, Americans' uh, round trips on that route uh, averaged uh, 24,000 miles round trip. Um, well, you, know what I, you know what I saw, Scott? I saw you, you mentioned the Transcon. Uh, American had business class uh, each way at 15,000. That's yeah, a, that's a, no, the, the business class for, for Transcon was unbelievable. American, uh, and you get a lie flat seat for this, 46,000 miles round trip. Now, United was higher, 99,000 miles, Delta at 133,000 miles. Uh, and JetBlue, this was, this was, I thought, fascinating. JetBlue doesn't have a whole lot of flights uh, left in the market. They have uh, their mint business class product. Some of those seats actually have a have a door, so it's self enclosed. I mean, I think that the the interest in in first class and business class now is completely about space. Um, the, you know, you don't get meals anymore. You you may or may not get a drink, um, but what people really want is is space because space on an airplane uh, can make it safer um, from from virus transmission. Uh, and the JetBlue uh, mint cabins were were expensive, 174,000. Uh, so JetBlue is not interested in, uh, in in letting you redeem miles um, for those seats. They want to sell them, but everybody else, because there's no business travel, they got tons of seats in first class and business class. And if you if you are going, uh, use your miles and uh, and claim the space. You know, the same guys at IdealWorks a couple of years ago came up with a figure that was astounding about how many unredeemed but eligible to be redeemed frequent flyer miles there are out there. And they came up with something like $23 trillion. Um, So they're out there. People just were not able to use them. They were, they were really finding themselves so frustrated that they just couldn't do it. Then, and then out of frustration, they'd go out and use it for a magazine subscription or a toaster, which was yeah. not exactly the way the frequent flyer programs were designed in the first place. Yeah, I, I think two things are, are going on here. Um, one is that, that airlines have gotten a lot smarter about uh, setting their frequent flyer prices in conjunction with their cash prices. Um, so that they, they've gotten away from the rigid um, uh, different categories that you had to redeem in um, and, and really made the pricing much more dynamic. Uh, it, it, it goes up and down, uh, and in this case it goes way down. 
um, with the cash price. And the other thing that's going on is, you know, airlines have used their loyalty programs um, to basically mortgage them for billions of dollars worth of loans. Uh, and the, the programs are profitable. Uh, banks have, have now lent a whole lot of money uh, using the programs as collateral. Uh, and, and to make that work, the programs have to stay popular. And so what do you do if you're an airline and your lenders now want, or the banks, in some cases the banks that are, are tied into your credit card deal, they want people to keep using their airline co-branded credit cards. Well, who cares about airline miles when you're not traveling? And all the perks that come with the with the program, bag fee waivers and, and early boarding and things like that, if you're not flying a lot, you really don't care. So how do you keep people spending on those airline credit cards uh, you got to give them good deals um, uh, for tickets, uh, and uh, and maybe the programs, um, even though frequent flyers aren't frequently flying, uh, maybe the programs still have good value for people. Well, they they do for me, although I was never able to use them. Now I I think I can. And what I suggest people do is it's not just looking at Thanksgiving travel, although Thanksgiving travel is down this year. Uh, you know, going to see Granny for 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 Turkey Day is not going to save the airlines. Uh, but think up to 330 days out, you're going to find some amazing opportunities. Yeah, I think that's right. And and while while this data was all about uh, domestic, um, I, I think you're going to start seeing that um, internationally as as you know testing or or when we get the vaccine enables a, a restart of international travel. Um, the you know the 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 only people flying for a while are going to be leisure passengers. Business yeah. travelers are, are grounded. And so that opens up a lot of seats, and and you know the availability the uh, to to get seats um, uh, far out, uh, close in, whatever it may be, um, is, is probably never been a better time when uh, the 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 availability of award seats has probably never been higher. I agree, and anybody who wants to hoard them, I said this before the pandemic. I'll say it now. There's no upside to that. Remember, the, the airlines control the rules. They control the redemption levels. They can change the rules at any time they want, and they love doing it. So, I mean, look, I don't trust the airlines half the time as airlines. Why would I trust them as banks? If you've got the miles in your account, there's never been a better time to use them. And what I'm not suggesting necessarily is that you go fly tomorrow, although you could. Just take a look. I keep saying it. Look out about 330 days, and you're going to be pleasantly surprised as to what you can do. That's absolutely right. And, you know, the rules have always been better for changes and, and refunds on frequent flyer tickets. Uh, but, um, you know, now change fees are waived. And uh, and so there's really no penalty to going ahead and and booking seats. You can, you know, if you if you pay cash, you may not get your cash back. You'll get a voucher um, with with no change fee. Uh, but with miles, you actually can put the miles back in your account. Uh, at yeah, most and... Airlines. and and the airlines got caught trying to be greedy at one point and charging you to redeposit your miles. They've now waived that as well. So what Scott is saying is absolutely correct. You have an opportunity now. It's sort of a win-win. You can't get in trouble if you redeem miles and then decide you don't want to use it later. You're not going to lose the miles. Just remember, though, there is that ticking clock of one-year eligibility sometimes with those miles as there is with a voucher. And while some airlines have extended the validity, the validity of the voucher, not every airline has. 
And in many cases, that voucher is based on when you bought your first ticket, not when you were scheduled to fly. So there may be a number of months in the, in the middle there that are not useful to you at all. We're now starting to see airports offering tests, COVID-19 tests. Some airlines are doing it. Uh, some of them tend to be somewhat expensive. Uh, I saw the one in London at Heathrow runs about 250 bucks. Uh, the one that we're doing in uh, San Francisco, I think the price has come down a little bit since they first opened it, but it started at 250 bucks. That's expensive. Scott, where else is it going on? Well, it, this is really interesting because testing in, in many jurisdictions, you can now avoid the local quarantine rules. So, so even uh, Bradley Airport in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, they started testing at the airport. You, you can go to Florida for the weekend and come back, and under the, the old rules, you would have to, in theory, uh, quarantine for two weeks. But now you can just take a test at the, at the airport. In Bradley's case, uh, they're offering the, both the rapid test, which is not as accurate, but can be done in 15 minutes, or, or the uh, PRC test, which uh, takes a couple days, 48 hours or so, to get back the results. And uh, when you test negative, uh, you don't have to worry about uh, quarantining. This, this becomes more of an issue uh, if you're going to Hawaii, for example. On October 15th, uh, Hawaii opened up. Um, you can have a test within 72 hours of arrival. Uh, you bring your documentation with you. The state will inspect you when you arrive. And uh, and if you don't have the test, you, you're in theory uh, supposed to lock yourself in a hotel room for 14 days, and they will check and they will fine you if you violate it. Uh, but if you've got the negative test um go to the beach go do have fun what do whatever you want to do uh, although one although really one caveat open up travel it will but there's one caveat on the hawaii tests and think about this you can go to a cvs or a duane reed or a, you know or urgent care in your in your local community your insurance probably covers it or the test itself is free if you do it at the airport it's going to be expensive and who do you know who books a flight to Hawaii the night before they go to Hawaii? They're booking two to three weeks ahead. So the the fact that they're offering that test for people going to Hawaii is lovely. It's a lovely convenience, but it's an expensive convenience. And my suggestion is, you know, the night before you're going, go get the test. Or the day before you're going, go get the test if you can get an answer back in, in 24 hours. And you, you're going to save a lot of money. So the, the thing, thing about Hawaii, though, is uh, there are only certain tests from certain vendors that they will accept. Uh, so in in the case, now this is not true in most other places, uh, but Hawaii has um, specific requirements. Um, they they want the PRC test uh, or some of the rapid tests that that are much more accurate. Uh, and in most cases, uh, they they want it from their specified uh, test provider. Um, so the airports that are serving Hawaii, Oakland, San Francisco, et cetera. Uh, Dallas, they're they're doing it. Uh, they're in the program. You can get it through. You can get a home saliva test through Hawaiian Airlines uh, that will be accepted. That's one hundred and fifty dollars. Um, you can uh, so several of the airlines are offering uh, tests in uh, in in uh, the cities where they're flying to Hawaii from. Um, so it's uh, you just have to be careful and make sure you you comply with the Hawaiian requirements. Exactly. And that's something you're going to have to do because when they quarantine you in Hawaii for 14 days, they don't kid around. I mean, everything's short of an ankle bracelet. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, it's not what they're doing in New York, Connecticut or New Jersey, but in Hawaii, they take it seriously because it's America's only island state. Uh, while we're on the subject of uh, protection uh, and quarantine, let's talk about disinfectant, Scott. 
What are the airlines doing that may have a problem? Well, uh, you know, this is really sort of uh, overkill in in some ways. Um, uh, but airlines have started uh, spraying cabins um, between each flight. And, and so I went and found what uh, chemicals each airline was using and then did some research on it. And it, it turns out that uh, American, Delta, United, JetBlue, Hawaiian, almost everybody's using a chemical called, a product called Cala 1452. And it has some, uh, the main ingredient in it is, is, a, uh, is a substance known as a QAC. And the scientists say there are a lot of issues with QACs and, and inhaling them. Um, a prolonged exposure to them can be a problem. So occasional exposure, they're in some household products and cleaning products and things, um, not a problem. But if so, if you were a flight attendant or a crew member or frequent flyer, and if you get on the airplane too early, for example, and the, and the QACs are still airborne, uh, after the guy in the spacesuit has come through and sprayed, uh, you run a risk of um, respiratory problems. Uh, QACs have been linked to asthma um, and, and lung damage. And, and so a lot of scientists are saying, hey, wait a minute, airlines, I mean, everybody wants to kill coronavirus. Um, that's the main objective here. Uh, but the virus itself is pretty easy to kill, and there are a lot of other products that you could use uh, that would do the job without containing dangerous chemicals. My thanks to Scott. Patrick Smith, author of Cockpit Confidential, joins me to discuss life at 37,000 feet from the pilot's point of view and some unexpected surprises during the pandemic. Speaking about anywhere in the world when you're traveling, we always like to welcome our next guest. He's the author of AskThePilot.com, Cockpit Confidential, and so many other things. Patrick Smith. Hello, Captain. Hey, Peter. Nice to be back. Do I sound depressed? Uh, tell me, are you? <laughs> uh, anxious, maybe, is the better word. I don't know. There's, there's so much going on, and at the same time, nothing going on, if that makes any sense. Well, it's been a, it's been a wild four or five months out there of uncertainty, and you know, it's not even a roller coaster. It's, it's, uh, I think we're all on a stretcher. Yeah, things have uh, plateaued, I guess, is the word at this point. And the future doesn't seem any more well-defined than it has at any point. Um, it's it's hard to be optimistic, but if nothing else, I've been keeping busy, Peter. Um, it's it, it might sound strange, but over the past, I guess, four months now, I've I've flown and traveled more than I have in any four-month span in my entire career. Uh, let me guess. Not, let me guess I, why. Let me guess why. <laughs> Starts with a C, ends with an O. Cargo. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I've, I've been operating normal flights, and you know, since the summer, I've been to Africa four times. I've been to Europe twice. I've been back and forth across the country more times than I can count. Uh, the reasons are. At my airline, I'm senior enough where I can do that if I want. Um, in a lot of ways, the flying has never been easier than it is right now. I don't want to say it's pleasant because it's easier for all the wrong reasons. But airports are quiet. There are no delays. Um, my commute to and from New York, where I'm based, uh, has, has in some ways never been easier. Um, 
again, I don't want to use the word pleasant, but, um, you know, now for me anyway is is the time to do this it's a good distraction it keeps it keeps my head up and and you know frankly too there's there's not a lot else to do peter um you know i i like to travel internationally in my spare time i can't do that now um and and what is life when you're at home now but a morass of uh, masks and placards and and hysterical protocols everywhere it's you know i'm i'm happier at work where i feel engaged and useful uh, versus at home where I, you know, I tend to fixate on this stuff. And, and so I've been flying more than ever. And of course, the oxygen content in the, in the cockpit is not a problem for you. It's good. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Flights, um, you know, the, 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 the line is flights are empty, and, and that's, that's not true. Um, there are fewer flights, but those operating tend, uh, tend to be quite full, depending on the market, of course. Uh, especially with the middle seats blocked, you know, uh, a plane at half capacity is basically a full flight nowadays. Um, and, uh, you know, for some people, now's the time to fly because of that. You always have an empty seat next to you. And like I was saying a minute ago, uh, you know, delays are very uncommon now. Airports are easy to navigate. There are no long lines to stand in. Um, so there's that. Yeah, there's that. I mean, the airports look like ghost towns. There's no retail to speak of. Well, JFK, when you go to JFK, it's like they evacuated it but didn't bother to tell you. Yeah, it's like a neutron bomb went off. I I find that airports in the Northeast, Boston and New York especially, are pretty desolate, pretty deserted. Once you get away from the Northeast, uh, there's more of a feeling of normalcy. All right, so of the airports that you've been in, what's been the biggest surprise to you? Which airport is like blown you away based on how they've adapted to this? Well, spinning that around, um, Boston has my, my hometown airport, the airport I grew up with, has, has you know, astonished me with just how dead it has been through all of this. I think more than any other airport in the country, it seems to be affected by this. I don't know if that's just the product of the local mindset here and how we've reacted to this whole crisis, but uh, I've been the only person in the terminal on some days at at Logan, Uh, whereas you go to LAX or uh, airports in the Midwest and the South, it's it's, uh, not quite normal, but something like normal. You wouldn't necessarily even notice that this was happening um, during some peak times at these airports. Well, you know, we talk about the ebb and flow of traffic in, in the airline business. Traditionally, we're in the fourth quarter now, which has never been a huge moneymaker for the airlines. In right. fact, m- most bankruptcies officially happen between December and January when they can't make it through the second quarter. Uh, so you're already in a bad quarter to begin with. Uh, Delta Airlines just did their third quarter results. They lost $5.4 billion in just the third quarter. Uh, and the bookings for the fourth quarter, Thanksgiving is not going to save the airlines. Uh, not everybody's going to go see Granny this year. No, that that that's true. And um, you know, passenger boardings, daily boardings are up close to a million now. But I think that's leveling off. And uh, w- what's going to happen in the weeks, months ahead? I, I don't know. Nobody knows. There there are still so many variables and moving parts to this. They're trying to predict what commercial flying is going to be like six months, a year from now. Nobody really can say. Um, we just we just. We don't know. Um, you know, like I said a minute ago, there, there's not a lot to be optimistic about. I don't see many positive signs, but 
to to pluck something positive out of this. The the numbers are going up, albeit slowly. And I don't know how you feel, Peter, but I've I've reached a point where looking long term, I'm not so concerned about the the domestic front anymore. I think at some point we're going to push through this, and the numbers are going to come up at least, uh, you know, boardings-wise for domestic operations. What really scares the heck out of me, though, is international flying. Uh, borders remain closed um, or heavily restricted with just some of the most mind-bogglingly onerous entry requirements you can imagine. I mean, some countries require three COVID tests and two weeks of quarantine, and then they monitor you after that as you're moving around the country. I, I mean, it's just... Insane. I mean, that kind of heavy-handed, you know, regulating and, and self-isolation is just is is not going to bring tourism or business travel back, and it's going to decimate the airlines, especially those that specialize in long-haul intercontinental operations and and all of the industries that support travel and tourism. Where does this end? Yeah, where does this end? I mean, if you take a look at the business numbers for international travel. They're below dismal. Uh, they're not even registering. Uh, because and that, you know, that can't travel- change yeah. if, if countries aren't letting people in. It's, it's, it's really weird, Peter, and especially some of the Asian countries. Uh, nations with few or no COVID cases won't even allow people from other countries with no cases to, to come in. Um, borders are, are, in some cases, completely sealed off for no reason that makes any logical sense. I mean, well, are you, apparently are you not flying? having COVID is no longer an acceptable criteria to come into a country. <laughs> uh, is that not the point? Well, as a, as a crew member, I'm assuming you're flying into some of these countries and then you have special permission to go in, but they don't want to see you anyway. Right. Um, you know, it almost, there, there's a part of me that thinks something else is going on here because, you know, this is going beyond coronavirus where countries are saying, well, you can prove to me that, that you don't have coronavirus, but we're still not letting you in. Well, why not? What, what, what else is going on? I, 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 don't, I can't make sense of this. Uh, it's a four-letter word that starts with F. It's called fear. And, and power. Well, fear, power, and, and, and arrogance and a little bit of stupidity is a wonderful recipe. We've been speaking with Patrick Smith, pilot, author of AskThePilot.com, and of course, Cockpit Confidential. Patrick, you know, you see, wherever I fly now, when I land, I see a lot of parked planes. I see them not going anywhere. Uh, these are relatively new planes. These are not the old junkers, uh, although they're, the old junkers are out there too. What's fascinating to me is how the modeling of airline finance has completely changed because there is no secondhand market anymore for planes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some cases, airlines have, have shut down and, and returned all their airplanes, new airplanes to the, to the lessers, and, and they can't be placed anywhere. Um, so we're seeing this backlogging of, of aircraft. And, of course, that's horrible news for, for Boeing and Airbus and, and the other airplane makers. It's, it's true. And, and their order books are, like, evaporating. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Uh, now, what's starting to happen, and we talked about this on the show before, but we talked about it on the show, believe it or not, almost a year ago, Patrick, the 737 MAX looks like it might actually get certificated as airworthy. Yeah, that's been a... A backstory that became a backstory to a backstory at this point. Um, I haven't really been following what's going on with the MAX. Um, Not my favorite airplane in the world, as we've talked about on different programs. Um, Right. You know, that whole saga, you know, really never had to be. But we we dealt with it, and we're still dealing with it somewhere. 
uh, down oh, below yeah. all of this. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you got to do new pilot training, new simulator training. Uh, you have to get all the regulatory agencies around the world basically to get in sync. Because let's face it, if you have only two out of the five major regulatory agencies saying it's okay to fly, that doesn't give everybody the sense of confidence if there are three regulatory agencies in the world saying, don't get on the plane. Uh, my understanding is that they are in sync now, that they're basically lining up, they're waiting for the FAA's final nod on this, and then they will fall in line and say, okay. Now, Boeing has renamed the plane. It's no longer the 737 MAX. You're laughing because we're all going to know what the plane is. Um, you know, an Edsel is an Edsel. Uh, but they've renamed it the 737-8. Wow, what originality. That's a little odd because there already is a 737-800. So now right. there's an eight. I, I, the nomenclature thing is is a little baffling. Um, how this story fits into the the the, the greater crisis that that we're dealing with, though, um, yeah, I I don't know. We have we have more important things I think to be concerned with right now. And uh, speaking of pilots and pilot training, as you alluded to a minute ago, um, I think it's interesting, a bit fascinating that here we are this many months into this, and we haven't yet seen any mass layoffs. Um, you know, people were predicting thousands of layoffs come October 1st, and, and that hasn't happened yet. There are still a lot of moving parts here. Airlines are negotiating um, with their pilot ranks, trying to work out um, agreements that will stave off furloughs, um, yeah, United Airlines, yeah, uh, yeah, United Airlines cut a last-minute deal with their pilots, so that they, the work hours would change, so that they would they would basically avoid the furlough. Uh, but at the other airlines, you're seeing flight attendants, uh, ground agents, uh, customer service reps. We've seen thirty-two thousand of them lose their jobs. You know, uh, and. Furloughs, airline employees losing their jobs. I mean, that's been a cyclical, uh, repetitive thing throughout you know the history of the airline industry. Um, I was laid off for five years after September 11th, and I had my layoff notice within I think 48 hours of of that event happening. Wow. Um, yet here we are in a crisis. 50 times worse than what we were dealing with after 9-11, and, and very few pilots have been, have been laid off, or flight attendants for that matter, comparatively anyway. That's interesting to me. For a crisis this bad, and to be this far along, and not to have massive layoffs like we, we've seen in the past in response to, to crises that weren't remotely as bad as this one. You know, how is that happening? Well, part of it, of course, a big part of it is that you know, airlines are being held up at this point by government grants and loans, and and so the health of the industry, if we call it that, is is you know artificially um, good right now, and and I think maybe there's still a reckoning ahead. I I, I don't know. It all depends. My yeah, what. my intuition says that there is. It's like the old Ernest Hemingway story that he liked to tell about his friend, who uh, came one day and said, I- "I'm bankrupt. I've lost everything." Ernest Hemingway said, well, how did that happen? He said, well, slowly and then suddenly. (laughs) 
My thanks to Patrick, to Scott McCartney, and to Karen Seidman-Becker. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations and news from the world leaders in travel, and to answer your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for updates on breaking travel news, just sign on to petergreenberg.com. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. And you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.